Hi, this is Dan. And this is Joe. And this is Enough Room. And welcome back again, everyone. Yes, welcome back to another episode. Yeah, we thank you so much for listening and for continuing this journey with us. Yes. We still have Paul Anthony with us, which I'm just really, really, really happy about. Hey, Paul Anthony. Hey there. <laughs> Um, I've been loving the conversation so yes. far, um, and I think we left off at possibly another cliffhanger last week <laughs> where we sort of introduced this idea that what there's actually, you know, maybe two different types of queer Christians, mm. your side A and side B. Um, and so maybe that'll be a good place to start this week's episode. Um, Daniel and myself are obviously side A. I don't like using these labels, but <laughs> oh well. Um, yeah, Dan and I are obviously side A. We are engaged. Um, I, I think we, no, we, we didn't even go into side B. We went from, well, I personally went from I'm not gay to yeah, oh, I'm gay and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I basically went from an ex-gay ministry to side A, so yeah. 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 Right. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> but, but even though, um, you know, we're side A and you're side B, I, I just want to go back to the point that you made, which is absolutely, I believe as well that, you know, side B Christians or people who um, follow that line of uh, belief or thinking uh, do base their beliefs on the Bible. Um, and I don't question at all. Um, their convictions in regards to that. And I think it's great that we have this diversity and we're able to talk and we're able to learn from each other. Mm-hmm. So I absolutely thank you for um, just sharing that with us and for your ministry. I, I think it's just great that you're part of this great community um, of queer Christians. Talking about those different sides, I remember, as I sort of just mentioned, I, I did used to be involved in uh, in some ex-gay ministries and speaking on that topic. And, I remember in in that ministry, sometimes um, some members of the ministry probably would be closer to side B in a sense, although um, they didn't necessarily say it was okay to be gay, but anyway, long story. Um, Mm -hmm. Main thing is that a number of people would often ask if someone is choosing to be celibate or someone's choosing not to act out on their sexuality, um, then why do they feel the need to come out and why you know, should they identify as gay, is there still a need for them to identify as gay? Because from a lot of, I guess, more using labels again, more conservative Christians sort of feel that if you say you're gay, then that suggests you're acting on it and it has a whole lot of baggage with it. So why would you say you're gay and celibate? Mm. Yeah, I, oh, straight people. (laughs) (laughs) So here's the problem. Here's straight people, again, because of how they've been conditioned to think about us, they think that all we are is just sex. Um, Mm. We can't have different opinions and there can't be different practices or, you know, nuances and so forth. They, they They have very hyper, generally have very hyper sexualized views of us. But then I just, I just, when they say things like that, I just say, okay, well, when you were a kid, before you had sex, were you straight? Well, yeah, same thing. It's like, yeah. you are what you are. It, it's, it's just a fact of life. I am what, this, this is the definition of gay. You have attraction, you have certain kinds of attractions to men, whether romantic, sexual, or whatever. Per that definition, that just is true of, of me, whether or not I'm sexually active. There's lots of 
heterosexual people who are heterosexual even while they're celibate, even if they're heading toward marriage, even if they're not. So yeah, straight people just really need to realize, you know, um, being gay, I, I think it's because they think of their sexuality as this standard, the default. Okay. And yep. when you think of yourself as the default, you tend to denigrate or reduce other things. Everything else seems alternative. Yep. Um, and, you know, even if I do agree, you know, God, if, even if I do believe God ordained sex to be between one man and one woman, I actually don't, I don't think that God designed heterosexuality. I think God did not create heterosexuality. I think heterosexuality is innately flawed. And I think that there's things about homosexuality that are innately godly because they are necessary corrections for heterosexuality. But maybe that's the thing we could get into. So when people say like, Paul, but you're celibate. Why do you celebrate the fact that you're gay? Why do you go to pride parades? Why do you have a flag in your house? Why do you flaunt being gay? It's like, well, I firstly, I just am gay. And it's a part of you. People need to be their authentic selves. If I'm gay, even if I'm not sleeping with anyone, I'm gay. It's just a part of my identity. Like I'm black, like I'm tall, like I love bunnies or like I'm a marathoner, like I, whatever other identity I have, like yeah. I'm Adventist. Those, I'm a Southerner, like those are all my identities. So just because I may not do a certain thing doesn't mean yeah. that I don't participate still in that identity like for instance part of southern culture a large part of southern culture unfortunately um is um pervasive racism um unhealthy food choices all kinds of different things but there are certain extents to which i do partake in that identity as being a southerner even if i don't do all the different things that are possible yeah. within that identity and so just because mm -hmm. i'm celibate doesn't mean i'm any less gay it just means i'm a gay person who does this certain thing so and I think it's it's interesting, um, you know, thinking back on on your own um, sort of story that you were sharing in the last episode. Hmm. Um, it's interesting how it's almost always used in a um, in an offensive way or a derogatory way, but yes, oftentimes when people the way people are acting, um, speaking, whatever it may be, sometimes people will throw out, you know, oh, you're that's so gay, or you're gay, or. Yes. And it's interesting how they use that to describe an action that has nothing to do with sex. And yet when it comes to you identifying as gay, all they can think about is sex. Like Exactly. You can't have it both ways. Like you're using it as an offensive exactly. term based on a non sexual act. And yet then when you say when I when I say I'm gay, you that's all you think about. Um Bro. Yes. It's like I'm reading this book called How to Be Gay um, by this, I don't know if he's a sociologist. No, he's a professor of English at the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor. I think his name is like David Halper, Halperin. can't remember. Okay. But anyways, he actually makes that very point you make, you just made right there. Um, how, you know, people, straight people all, all, all the time will say, oh, that's gay. But then the moment you try to talk about how gayness is a culture, it's not just sex. It's a, it's a, but this, but this particular queer um, scholar, he describes gayness um, as, as a cultural orientation, not just a sex, mm -hmm. it's not even just a sexual orientation. It's not just a gay, it's not just an identity. It's a way that we, we carry ourselves a certain, it's a certain yeah. culture. And so even if, um, even if I don't do a certain part of the culture, I'm, I can still partake of the other parts of the culture. And those things are just as gay as a gay identity 
or yeah. gay sex or gay marriage or whatever, whatever you want to say there. And um, I mean, furthermore, I think that's, especially in reading that book, he really put a language to something I've been like wrestling to really articulate strongly over the last couple of years. Um, you know, this idea that gayness goes beyond or queerness, you know, goes beyond just sex or, or, or identity. It, it, it's, there's a, it's a cult, there's a cultural aspect to it. Mm, yeah. Um, and I think that when I look at queer culture, you know, I see godly, I see in a lot of ways, I see a lot of godly corrections to toxic masculinity for mm. or the inability for people of the same sex to have meaningful um, platonic same sex relationships. I see like mm. watching Queer Eye, I'm watching five grown men cuddle with each other, love on each other, go and do things in life together. I don't see straight men doing that, but mm, yeah. yet all that straight people can do is, you know, reduce our sexuality, our entire uh, relational orientation, reducing it down to just sex. But yeah, anyways, so. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think what I find, um, I guess, then sort of confusing is how, um, I guess, the church's reaction to that or the, from my reading, obviously my reading of the Bible is actually quite different to a lot of people as well, but because I'm side mm -hmm. A, but let's just say even for side B Christians, my understanding is a lot of what the Bible talks about when it comes to, you know, the arguments about um, sexuality is the physical act. More than anything else, it's talking about the sexual relationship between two people and whether or not that's okay for it to be two people of the same gender or not. And yet it seems like the church has a problem with more than that. Yes. And it seems like they have a problem with gay culture yes. more than just the sexuality, even though their statements suggest it's just about the sexual yeah. act. Yes. Um, the reality seems to be that their problem is with the culture. And yeah. I, have you found that? What, what, I guess what has been your experience in how the church has responded to you, even though you seem to have... Um, I guess, chosen to uphold what they say is the correct way of dealing with this. Mm -hmm. um, what has, I guess, how have you seen that impact your relationship with the church? Yeah. Um, yeah. So even though I'm celibate. Um, so, okay. A, a few situations. Um, so I, I said in a previous episode, I think it was a previous episode, that when I was, during my undergrad, I was picked up by because I was studying theology to be a pastor. And so I was picked up by this conference um, that was supposed to be putting me through, um, it was the Carolina conference. Um, they were putting me through um, seminary so that I, afterward I would come and work for them, um, work with them. Um, yeah. During the time that I was in seminary, or right before I went to seminary, rather, I, I no, excuse me, yeah, I came out during a summer that I was pastoring um, I, I share my story with with um, some people um, where I was pastoring, and I went to the conference. Like as it, it reached all the way up to the conference, people were all like, "Oh, our pastor's gay, even though he's celibate." He's already said that. And, um, uh, they had a problem with that, and so I went and talked to the conference. I talked to the conference, said, "Yes, I'm gay. Um, I'm celibate as well." So I mean, I pulled things that our church teaches, so no problem, right? And for all intents and purposes, it seemed like there was no problem. Um, 
So I was led to believe over the next two and a half years, three years, whatever, that two and a half, that me being gay was not problematic because I was celibate. And indeed, our church policies are very clear. Read, read the NAD statement in 2015. Anyone who comports with our with our theological beliefs and lives 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 according to the ethics that, that those things and um, um, enjoin are 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 vi- are you know viable candidates for being pastors or other employees in the church. No problem. So I thought everything was good. I knew there would be some things that I had to work through. Obviously, bigotries everywhere. So, yeah. um, but there was no clarity. And sometimes I would ask my ministerial direct, director. You know, how does it, how does the conference feel about the fact that I'm gay? And over time during seminary, as I went through some, um, some ideological shifts where I read some more, uh, uh, there was one book I read by another, a side B, um, gay theologian. He's not really, he's a biblical scholar. And that really changed my ideas of like, oh, so not only is it okay for me to be gay, like there are actual things about being quote unquote gay that are like good and like, Mm like a level up over over straight people so like i need to like harp on those things so like i became more outspoken i was like oh so now i can not only advocate for queer people i can advocate for gayness <laughs> itself i was like yeah okay so like that like re- that, that really set me free but you know over time i became more you know outspoken about it and then i started to realize okay if i'm gonna be outspoken about this like i can't like go pastor and not be like true to myself you know mm. I can't. So I, I, I was speaking to my ministerial director a handful of times and like I spoke to him a handful of times, basically like, you know, how's the church going to feel about this? And it seems if they were, you know, they were okay. But, you know, toward this past December when I was, or October, this past October when I was, um, 2019, when I was about to graduate, I still hadn't really gotten any word as to what, you know, how they really felt about things. And so I had to call them up and be like, you know, yo, so y'all know how out I am. I have this documentary coming out. You guys have not been clear. And they had been like ducking and dodging and not really answering me about this for, you know, for a while. And so I basically just had to like basically force the ministerial director to kind of like agree with what I'm saying. Kind of like nod your head at the kind of thing. Because like, so I'm getting the idea that you guys aren't going to pick me up because you guys haven't been clear. And I'm guessing it's because I'm gay, but you guys haven't said anything. And, you know, all the while I'm thinking, this is very unprofessional. I shouldn't have to ask the person mm-hmm. who's talking to me if you're going to pick me up or not, you know. Yeah. But that's what it was. And even at the end of that conversation, he never actually said, no, we're not going to hire you, Paul. It's the best of my remembrance. He didn't say, no, we're not going to hire you. He certainly did not say why. And that's a problem. Yeah. Um, you have a, I believe that, you know, in- institutions have a responsibility to abide by the policies that they stand for. And according to our policy, I was a viable candidate for to be a pastor in this, in this church. Yes. But it didn't happen. So anyways, I moved back home um, in December. Honestly, not getting hired was a blessing that I didn't fully, I, but I'm, I'm realizing more and more. Um, mm-hmm. I've been able to pastor in a way that's truer to what God has wanted me to do than yeah. I would have been able to do. So I, I, I honestly, I give God praise for that. Uh, moved back home, wanted to be active in my local church, the same church I've been a, a member in, active member in for 10 to 12 years. People know me and love me, um, supposedly, um, and preached there several times. Mm-hmm. All the time they're asking me, Paul, when are you coming home so you can preach? Sabbath school, sang, done all these things. Then all of a sudden I come back home. I'm, um, I'm asking to be involved. The pastor's dodging me. 
Um, the um, I was ambushed one Sabbath. I was this meeting. They, they called this meeting um, that I wasn't prepared to have. I, I didn't. I didn't know what the nature of this meeting was. Apparently, they were. You know, it was about me being gay. I mean, there there were so many abuses of power. So mm. so many terrible pastoral practices not only from the pastor but all of those elders people I, i've i've worshiped with for for all these years people who've talked about how much they love and care and all of a sudden i come home and you won't talk to me anymore you won't look me in the eye you won't return my phone calls they started persecuting me they didn't want to have a meeting where i share my beliefs with them i called the conference the conference ministerial director was basically like you know you know but when I told him everything that the pastor and the elders had been doing and persecuting me, all he could say was, you know, well, Jesus suffered. So, you know, you know, bear it with wow. me. Yeah. The ministerial director of my conference said that to me. Mm -hmm. um, and then this like last month or two months ago, um, the final thing, you know, the final the statement, they, they basically said, Paul, because of your views on quote unquote marriage and the family, um, because of those views you hold, we want, we can't allow you to preach or teach. And it, it was just like, there were so many, there were so many, um, it, it, it was just, it was just, it was really bad um, pastoring on the, on, oh, on yeah. the part of the elders of that church. And so anyways, and so um, the last meeting I ever had with any of the elders from my church was, was a couple of weeks ago or so Two of the elders wanted to have a conversation with me. And I basically told them, they basically were trying to say they felt they felt violated because I called them out. Um, they didn't like yeah. that. I called them out on Facebook. And I was like, you guys would never give me a chance to actually articulate my views. And so I'm just following Matthew 18, unlike you guys. Yeah. Um, it says, if you know, if you, you have a grievance against someone, you know, take it to, you know, varying levels. But because you guys wouldn't let that, I have to do it this way. So anyways, yeah. here yeah. we are. Here we are. Um, I, I broke off my membership from that local church um, because I, you know, you, I can't be, I'm not going to remain in a toxic situation yeah. and pretend like everything's good. Mm. So that's, that's kind of what I've gone through over the last few months slash couple years, honestly. So. Yeah. Wow. It, it's crazy again, how, <laughs> how similar some of our stories mm. are. Cause I'm just like sitting there and thinking, yes, ambush is a very good word. Uh, but anyways, <laughs> for my own experience, um, Oh wow, that's that's pretty that, long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's, that's, that's the first side B, and like yeah. so that yeah. like seeing that, I'm just like, oh my gosh, like if they did that to me, like what are they doing to people who are side A? I'm just like, because I advocate for both sides, honestly. I, I so I'm just kind of like, we got to do better, guys, and not just yeah. for side B people. It needs to be for side A people. Even with our theological convictions, there are things you can do to at least be a welcoming church. Yes. If you're not affirming, at least you can be a welcoming church. We're not even that. And that's mm, that. Yeah. Mm, mm. And, and I think it's such a cop-out, I guess, when someone goes, well, Jesus was persecuted. Oh. So mm -hmm. you can, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. That just gives permission to persecute whoever you like. <laughs> yeah. like oh, wow. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. Like Dan and I, um, again, we, while we haven't, been in a physical church since, I guess, early March. Um, we've only received a phone call once from a pastor um, who worked for the conference, just checking in to see how we were going because we were friends. Um, 
but I think so far we haven't really had any hmm. sort of communication from any elders or pastors. We got a um, a letter from letter. the church. Ooh, I just find it really letter, ironic because um, uh, at this time it was actually a letter, <laughs> strangely enough, um, not a Facebook message or anything. Um, and that it was actually quite nice, to be honest. Um, and it was addressed to both Chopitabra and I um, as members of the church. Now, what I find odd about that is that earlier this year, I actually withdrew my membership. Um, not that I've actually heard that that's gone through. I actually have no idea. Maybe I'm still a member. Um, I know. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but, yeah, with Joe, he's, been a member of an Adventist church for many years, and I mean, that wasn't that wasn't by choice on his part. On my part, it definitely was by choice, but it was in many ways to avoid what the two of you have gone through, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and same thing with with me. I, I as I mentioned um, in a few episodes back, I think um, I started a theology degree, but. Um, and at the time that I started, I was still sort of in that whole ex-gay sort of phase. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I was going through that and I, I, I knew that I had to do some more in-depth study on the whole topic of sexuality if I was going to be, um, I guess, able to continue in ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, and through that process, that's where I guess I reached the conclusion that it was okay. And I, I reached an affirming theology and... And when I reached that conclusion, I knew that I had to leave. Um, and I, I just thought it's, I'm passionate about ministry, but I see that it's just going to be a waste of time and money to continue studying this through an Adventist university because at the end of it, I, I, I'm not going to be accepted mm. to do ministry anywhere. And so I might as well just stop now and, and start figuring out how I can pursue ministry in my own way. Whenever we're having this conversation, um, I guess it's it's not just about queer people, or gay mm. Christians, LGBTQI plus Christians. It's also about their families. It's about their friends. And so the implications are much wider. Um, and I don't know if this has been your experience, but ever since I, I guess, explored ministry in other ways, I've actually come in contact with a lot of people who I may never have spoken to or come in contact with if I had sort of tried to follow what I was doing uh, back in the day. I know that you currently have your ministry as well online and a few other areas. Has that been your experience as well, that you're, you're starting to engage with people you may not necessarily have been able to before? Oh, oh my gosh, yes. I feel like every other day some some new person's dropping into my box and my DMs, like <laughs> either a straight or a, or a queer person um, asking questions, whether it's side A or side B. Yeah, I, I, I get just about everything, pastors, other professionals. I, yeah, and asking questions and <laughs> um, being able to speak with uh, people's churches recently over Zoom and so forth. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's opened up a way for me to speak. Um, these situations happening has opened up a way for me to speak in a way that I would not have been able to had I not gone through this. And so like, even though it's frustrating to know that in a certain way they get away with it, they're not getting away with it. (laughs) Like they tried to take away a pulpit. You just made my pulpit wider. 
yeah. even wider. And, um, and that's not from like any glory to me or anything like that, but it's just more like if God wants something to be done through you, he's going to get it done through you. Yeah. Yes. Um, so it's been really cool to see him enlarging that territory. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Enough Room. We'll be dropping another episode in about a week's time. So until then, follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook. Till next time. Bye.